G'day film fans, I'm Dave. I'm Jack, in for Jeff tonight. And I'm John, and welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies both new and old with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right, and to make sure that we keep ourselves honest, we've turned this into a drinking game. Drinking game! Yeah. <laughs> that's what that's, that's why like. I'm here. <laughs> so, any lazy negativity uh, about a film? If you say anything negative, or let's what the hell, anything stupid, mm-hmm. you'll hear this sound. Oh! And you have to drink. Drink. And we have yeah. to drink. Everybody, the world has to drink. Everyone, so, play along. Yeah, pour yourselves a glass, and we'll give it up for the films we love, and perhaps a film that needs a lot of love this week yeah, yeah. that's going to hurt <laughs> oh yeah we're going to get there fun. oh All my right, god so and uh so yeah we got a uh, a fill in host cuz Jeff's grounded for swearing too much on last week's podcast Jeff's fucking that's grounded right. he swore too much his parents locked him up in his room he's literally with his family this week hello jeff we know you you listen to this we know you watched all these movies and you're so jealous that you're not here with us. We, we wish you well. But we are very, very fucking excited to have with us as a guest host tonight, Mr. Jack Daniel out of K104.7 from Charlotte. Jack, Hello. what's up, man? How you doing, dude? Well, welcome, it's, welcome. It's great to be here. First of all, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Well, uh, I listen Thanks. every week. And I, I hate I didn't get to meet Jeff along with you guys because I'm a fan of the three of you collectively. <laughs> Doing I mean, what you do. Fucking hilarious, dude. We're going to have to have you uh, back with all of us yeah. at some point for and sure. And I've been on the radio for so long, you're going to have to bear with me because in my job, I'm not allowed to curse and swear. <laughs> okay. I don't, don't, don't know why, but I've got, a, I've got a hunch that you're going to be okay. I think, I think you're going to be the all FCC right. The FCC frowns upon it, so I've been conditioned <laughs> not to do it. So uh, bear with me. It may be later in the podcast before I start cursing, but I'll get yeah, there. I'm it's pretty sure great. you'll get yeah. there by the third one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, couple, a couple of quick one. questions. So, you've covered yeah. uh, what you do, who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just uh, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie of all time is The Sting. Oh, that's Sting. a great favorite movie. Great yeah, movie. Wonderful. yeah, wonderful. Paul wonderful. Newman, Robert nice. Redford. Hell yeah. And? And worst movie ever? The only movie I've ever walked out on, a movie called Rabid. Rabid. And that was a trick question. You have to drink. <laughs> we just buzzed you for going to it, and we buzzed the filmmakers of Rabid. Yeah, that was anyone involved in that motherfucker. It was so bad. I got up and walked out, and it starred Marilyn Chambers, before she was a porn actress, mm-hmm. so That's, it was just. It was well, just how bad does All a movie have to be? How bad does a movie have to be for you to go into <laughs> porn go, after it? For you to go the other way? <laughs> it's like, wow, the only step up from this is porn. So that, you just wanted me to drink. I, I see how you guys. Are. <laughs> oh, that's what we do. We're gonna pimp you out. We're gonna get show. along just fine. Oh my god, we're getting to know each other. We are excited this week to be talking about the movies of 1980 fucking two. So let's just go yeah. through some of the other ones before we get to our big picks. That was an interesting year. We saw some Titan Sophie's Choice, a little Meryl Streep, Kevin Klein for you, The King yeah. of Comedy, a more obscure Scorsese. Uh, not many people still talk about that, but that is an amazing one. Uh, how about fucking Harrison Ford in Blade Runner? Yep. Oh, yeah. The World According to Garth, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, The Dark Crystal, Poltergeist, Tron, Gandhi. What a fucking year, you guys. And we picked none of those. (laughs) E.T.? E.T.? How did I? Yeah. And we picked fucking none of those. We decided on three movies. We're not picking any fucking movie that was remade and had the guns taken out of it and replaced with walkie talkies. (laughs) We just don't fucking do that. We saw what you did, Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg, you better drink. That was that was rude, dude. Not cool. I was scared enough as a child. You didn't have to do that shit. Yeah. All right. 
So we chose. Before, yep. Go, go, go. Yeah. Our three movies this week, we're going to be starting with, in just a moment, we're going to be discussing first up The Verdict, Sidney Lumet's The Verdict, starring Paul Newman. Halfway through the show, we're going to be talking about the second movie, which is Dave. The Thing. The Thing, baby. John Carpenter's yeah. The Thing. Fucking awesome. Can't wait to talk about that. Kurt Russell back together at last. I love mm-hmm. him so much. And if you wanted to skip to the end when we are fucking wasted and talking a whole bunch of crap about a really questionable film accomplishment, we are going to be talking about Grease 2 at the very end of this podcast. Dear- One of my favorite movies of all time. I'm just going to drink that. <laughs> That's I'm lying to us. Because I lied. Just fucking lie. Yeah, we also buzz you for fucking lying. But uh, before we get to Did all that shit. how much I love Adrian Zamed? Oh, you're going to be, I feel like you're going to be gushing <laughs> at the end of this podcast for Adrian Zamed. Uh, before we get to all that shit, though, I just want to do a very quick round of shout outs. As usual, we want to thank our beer sponsor, who is a real man. He's not invisible. I actually know this guy. His beers are great. His name is Carlos Barozzo. You can give him a follow on Instagram at CBarozzoBar2019. That's C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O-B-A-R-2019. And as usual, the music you hear on this episode and every episode is provided by the artist Dasein. That's Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N. You can find all the music available for free downloads at soundcloud.com forward slash Dasein dash artist. Jesus Christ. Let's do a little <laughs> bit of breath. our, uh, all of our, uh, what you've been watching this week, <laughs> you guys. You I'm, I'm, yeah, a little bit of what you've been watching. Did I watch anything outside of these three movies that is not fucking reality TV? Jeff, I just called you out. I just called you out. Yep. You're not even here. Jeff, buzz Jeff for watching reality TV because you know he's watching it right now. <laughs> That's for Jeff. <laughs> How about you guys? What did you guys watch other than these? Any TV shows? Any movies? Uh, let's see. I'll start first. Um, I rewatched season one of Ozark just mm. because I like Ozark so much. Mm. Um, and then I went back and I watched, um, help me. What I is just it? had a brain fart. You ever have those? A, I mean, just <sighs> once in a while. <laughs> I mean, absolute fucking lootly. Oh. Especially at the end of this fucking show. <laughs> yeah, I watched, yeah, I did. I, 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 watched, <laughs> I had a brain fart. It was Demolition Man. Oh, oh hell yeah. Where dude. all the restaurants <laughs> are Taco Bell. Apparently we're getting yeah. a sequel to that too. I heard, yeah, there's a sequel yeah. coming. For some reason, I just I just enjoy that movie. I like yep. Sandra Bullock because we went to the same college, so I have Absolutely. to watch the movie. It's, it's well, a, I it, didn't that's know a that. fun movie. It is fun, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know she went there. That's awesome. Yeah, she went to ECU. You guys, fuck me. I still have not seen Ozark. I'm like one of the only assholes that has still has not watched. Are you serious? I don't think we've shared that with each other because I'm so ashamed of it. I know. I've heard it so Jason Bateman has turned into such a great uh, actor all around. I mean, he does comedy. He does drama. This is is high-octane stuff. It's like his baby, right? Didn't he like direct the first two and second last two episodes or something isn't he like a director on it and producer yeah he's a he's one of the producers and has directed a couple of he's a director on a lot of things now yeah that's fucking beautiful yeah he's come a long way since team wolf 2 yeah (laughs) buzz team wolf 2 (laughs) (laughs) oh my god dave how about you dude what you been watching um well actually uh dc fandom was on this this week so my movie viewing was right down i um tuned into a lot of that and got a lot of the uh up and coming mm-hmm. projects. Oh my god, they've got some good stuff coming out. Uh, games, mm-hmm. movies, you name it. I saw the Batman trailer. Um, had a little reservation about Robert Patterson as Batman until I saw sure. this trailer, and I was like, "No, we're gonna be just fine. We're gonna be yeah. just fine." Somebody I've been hoping he didn't do. He didn't do the "I'm Batman." He didn't no, do that part. No, but there is a there's a line there, but it's not yeah. that. 
Okay. Yeah, they, and right. they show it in the trailer, so look it up. I need to um, check that out. And I'm not a vampire. Uh, have, yeah, <laughs> I'm sparkly. No, um, <laughs> I caught uh, Charlie's Angels, the remake. The remake, okay. The yeah, reboot. Was that like the first a, time you ever saw it? Oh, you're talking about the remake the remake. Re-remake. The yeah, the, the one that came out last yeah. year and got panned. I mean, uh, there's an With actual Kristen review. In the, there's, yeah, there's an actual review in The Guardian called it a pointless, unfunny, brain-deadening dud. Holy shit. And I'm sorry, but that guy can go fuck himself. This movie was okay. awesome. I okay. totally enjoyed the hell out of it. Like, it's a fantastic movie with great action. Kristen Stewart's phenomenal. Uh, everyone in it does a great performance, and there's some actual laugh-out-loud moments. Like, I laughed out loud at least three or four times in this film. All right. All right. Yeah. I remember thinking it was a pretty good trailer. I saw it in the theaters last year at some point. It's I was a, like, It's All a right, great I might, movie. I and unfortunately, yeah. you know, as, as always, the critics got to it, and, uh, and nobody went and saw it. Where'd you see it? Uh, stars. It's, it's streaming on stars. Okay. Matt, yeah. check that out. Mm. Very I've nice. I've never very been nice. one to pay a lot of attention to film critics. If I go to a movie and I enjoy myself and eat some good popcorn and, and have a good time, then that's all I care about. And yeah. I know, yeah. so that, of course, obviously we're reviewing movies and I guess in a sense being critics, but when it comes right down to it, if you enjoy a movie, Fuck everybody else. There, I yeah, yeah. I yeah. He did it. Look, I totally fucking agree. I mean, critics. If we're talking about very serious end of the year Oscar movies, maybe it's maybe I want to listen to what they have to say just to get a, a little more insight. I don't even know if I'm going to make a decision based on them. But if we're talking about fun fucking summer movies, spring movies. Yeah. Why are they trying to seriously write I mean, some feedback on Charlie's Angels? Let's just go see yeah, it and like, have a good what, time. <laughs> what did you like? It's go and be entertained. You don't need yeah. to bag the shit out of this film just to be edgy. It's like, and now I get in our final segment, we do that a lot sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that. But this is like, we're, we're having a little bit of fun with it. It's tongue in cheek, but this was just mean. Like this yeah, review. I just, I don't, I can't get on board with just being super cruel to try to like shut down a chance for people to make a little money after they work their butts off for a long time. Also, you know, right? if, someone, if, if someone wants to come at me over my opinions on Greece too, then they're welcome to. Yeah. And, yeah, and Greece like too is, I, and, I feel like that's something that I, like movie reviewers don't like lean towards. Yeah, it's like, no, but it's I, also, this, this is what you should think. It's like, no. But Grease 2 is also, Grease 2 is not going to be touched by, if we, if we decide to talk some shit about the movie at the end of this podcast, it's not going to affect Grease 2. The way that may have actually yeah. affected the release that is and true. the experience for a lot of people who saw it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad anyway, you watched we've, it. We've read about those guys. For I saw, um, let's see, we were watching these movies and then one night I just, st- oh yeah, after I, fin- after I finished the verdict, I was thinking in my head, I bet you fucking money. Tom Cruise was the same age in the last Mission Impossible that Paul Newman is in this movie. And I was yeah, fucking right. Bob. He was 58 years old <laughs> when he did that, right? So 56, 58, I can't remember. So I I don't know. I was just looking at that. And I saw did, fucking Top Gun see, on Amazon. So I yeah. went and I watched Top Gun again. Hadn't didn't seen that see in a while. Paul Newman strapping himself to the side of a plane? No, no, no they no. don't. Uh, they make them differently <laughs> now, I think. So I watched Top Gun, Tony fucking Scott. That was fucking fun of course little funny anecdote i have known our guest host jack for quite a long time him and his son and i are friends and the first sex scene i ever saw was when we stole top gun from his vhs collection there you we go were like six years old <laughs> i wonder what happened to it i don't think you ever we brought went it back and watched it we were giving each other yeah, that, the goose that, that that tape was damaged <laughs> 
<laughs> oh yeah, man. Take my breath away. Still does funny things to me. So I watched Top Gun. And then last night I finished reading Dr. Sleep this week. So I, I would put mm. the movie on last night and watch that. Had a good time. Mike Dr. Flanagan. Dr. Sleep is a great movie, made. by the way. And yeah, it's a I good had book fun. too. Yeah. Yeah. I had fun with both of them. Uh, I didn't realize the dude, uh, Mike Flanagan, who directed it and adapted yeah. it from the book is the same guy who did Haunting of Hill House. Right. Um, so if anybody who liked that show, it kind of has that similar and, feel. And then there's Rebecca Ferguson. <sighs> mm-hmm, yeah, good yeah. for that guy. Yeah, <laughs> he did hot. a good job. Mm-hmm. It's available yeah. on HBO Max, and Top Gun was available on Prime, I believe, because yeah. I guess they're amping up for Top Gun too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're getting fucking ready for that. Return of Maverick. All right, that is what we watched this week. We are so excited to move ahead. The first movie we are going to be discussing this week is Sidney Lumet's The Verdict. 1982, obviously, Paul Newman, Charlotte Rampling, Jack Warden, who else? Um, James Mason. Lindsey Krauss. Lindsey Krauss. Goodness gracious. What did you guys, anyone who wants to start with an overall impression? Did anybody, is anybody going to get buzzed right off the bat? Did everybody appreciate this movie? I straight away got nostalgic over the hand-drawn 20th Century Fox logo. Yeah. That got me (laughs) too, dude. I was like, oh, I remember that. wasn't Wasn't it silent too? There was no... Dun, 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 dun. I don't think there was the music to it either. I thought it was silent. No, it was correctly. silent. And there was mm. not a lot of music in the film at all, really. At all. Yeah. Especially opening through the opening the... credits. The opening credits mm. was all him playing the pinball machine there in yep. the bar. Where mm-hmm. That slow push in, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, so did it work I, for I you do, guys? I do. It, it, it did. It, a lot of things worked for me in this. It's like you straight away established Paul Newman. He's at rock bottom personally and professionally. They have a great use of exposition without making it obvious in this film like yeah. they're able to move the plot forward and you don't notice they're doing it it's yeah. very, speaking clever, of the it's plot, very cleverly let's just, written let's just go ahead and set this up kind of gently mm. before we jump in too deep the little blurb on imdb and we'll go in a little bit further if we need to a lawyer sees the chance to salvage his career and self-respect by taking a medical malpractice case to trial rather than settling. So we got Paul Newman at the beginning of this film quickly establishes himself as kind of a washed up alcoholic a uh, defense lawyer, who, excuse me, prosecutor, who has not had a case in a long time, seemingly. His friend tries to throw him a case. He says it's this wonderful bullseye case. They're going to settle immediately. It's with a very powerful hospital, one of the Catholic hospitals, St. Jude's hospitals in Boston. He ends up getting a little bit too involved in the case personally and decides, I, won't, I don't want to settle this one. This woman's life was ruined. This, this woman it was turned into a vegetable. His, her sister and her um, and her brother-in-law bring the case to him as the people who filed this, and he decides he wants to try to take it all the way. Drama ensues. He has to fight the gigantic defense uh, law mm. firm, which is you know you know tens of lawyers that are preparing for this. Most maybe the most powerful firm in Boston, maybe one of the most powerful firms in the U.S. He doesn't stand a chance. Goes up against the odds and tries to have some atonement for his life at that time while also winning that's this a, case. That's a great sequence too when they show the two teams and they like they show him oh, yeah. talking with the one guy that he has and then it's a conference room full of lawyers mm-hmm. for the other right. side and it's it's like David versus Goliath and the Pope. Yeah. Yeah, James they're not even Mason sitting in great. a Yeah, anyway, James, he's one of my favorite actors. Yeah. James is fucking wonderful. Yeah, Dave, I know you're talking about they they don't they're not even in a fucking office, they're in the library. Yeah. They're they're yeah. In the public library initially just the two of them. That's Jack mm-hmm. Warden, right? Uh, his uh, his number two, this yeah, guy? Jack yeah, Warden's the guy that, Warden. that gave mm-hmm. him the case. Yeah, yeah, 
All right, so I guess I wanted to ask you guys, because obviously when you watch a movie, any movie from this time period, but I mean, honestly, any movie from before 2000 at least, pacing is slower. Yeah. They are going to take their time to do, and, and because mean, of that, there are different this is a courtroom drama, so yeah. like It's a courtroom drama, so they're going to take their time with it. Like, to get there, but even yeah. going in and out of the courtroom, it didn't, uh, you know, it's not rapid fire. It's certainly not fucking a few good men by the time you jump in. Oh, it's no. not a 90s, it's not a 90s shoemaker, the client or a time yeah. to kill. It's not just uh, the pace of the movie there. either. It's the, it's the tone of the color. The colors seem really drab compared to some of the stuff that we see today. And uh, it, it, it has that, it has that gritty look that reminds mm -hmm. me very much of what 1982 was like. Yeah. Um, and I found, uh, and I've seen this movie several times. And, and the first time I saw it, I saw it in a, in a theater, of course, rewatching it here um, at the house. But um, it just, you know, it just had that very, very gritty feel. We're not very, technologically advanced. I can't grab somebody on a cell phone to get an answer to this question. I got to do the footwork. I have yep. to, to, you know, use a pay phone mm -hmm. or do a regular phone call. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is one of Paul Newman's most vulnerable roles. Uh, you know, he's played so many things where he, you know, it can be a down and out character, but this was, you just really, when he was going to the funeral homes, trying to drum up business and handing yeah. the cards to the that bereaved. I mean, it was just, you felt bad for him and the people that he was trying to get business from, you know? Yeah. It was just really well done. And no, I'm glad is his that. name pronounced Sidney Lumet? Because I've is always, it Lumet Lumet? I've always Lumet called Lumet? him Cindy Lumet, but that's just me. I'm from Concord. What I've heard, what I I've say? heard Lumet. I've heard, no, I mean, you know <laughs> yeah. what, Sidney? If any descendants, you said Lumet, yeah. and I think that sounds yeah. very appropriate. It's, Let's go it's with funny. that. Um, yeah. Just to bring up the the thing in the uh, funeral homes where he's going around giving out cards to people who've just lost someone, saying "I can help oh, you." It's Jesus. it's that's uh, and I've spoken a lot about the save the cat moment as a writing technique where mm -hmm. you have the hero of the story do something good. To right. this is this is the opposite of that technique, and it works just as yeah. well. Where you have the hero, well, the eventual hero of your story, do something so fucking despicable. That his redemption means more at the end. Yeah, this like, is the kill the mm -hmm. cat moment. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. It's like the step <laughs> mm -hmm. on the cat moment. <laughs> I mean, Jack, I'm glad you said that about the uh, his performance. And I, I think Paul Newman has definitely played some depressed, you said, down and out characters. I feel like a lot of those famous ones, uh, Luke, Hud, mm -hmm. he is always, he's so cool. He's just so inherently cool that even with those characters, when he's supposed to be depressed, he still like has control over his, it's almost like it's a choice in those yeah. movies for that man, that character to be choosing a life that, that, that makes him right. feel that way and act that way. Whereas but the verdict, he, yeah, yeah, he, was he so is broken in this. He was so desperate in, in this movie, you know, when he's sitting in the um, Monsignor's office or whatever, debating he wanted to take that check for two hundred and ten thousand dollars so badly he didn't mm -hmm. know what to do because he thought it was like a a small win but then mm -hmm. you know he caught himself realizing that you know this is this is worth more you know her life after yeah. what happened to her this is worth more and i'm yeah, gonna like fight for it he had a little come to jesus moment there that, you know, yeah, that, i mean that moment and the moment just beforehand as well and he does it again later in the film where he manages to communicate the fact that he's making a decision without saying a goddamn word. 
I was going to ask you if it worked for you. Did, did the photograph every, epiphany every, work for you? Yeah. Every time he does it, it works perfectly. Like he's, you can see his thought process on his face and that's what mm-hmm. makes a good actor. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's this moment for anyone who hasn't seen this and obviously always, as always, spoiler alerts, go fuck yourselves, watch this movie. Anyway, there is a moment where he, he goes to, he goes to visit we the woman about who our is, audience. <laughs> he goes to visit the woman who's the paraplegic, uh, the first time. And he doesn't even really look up. He's walking around. He finds her chart. You know, she's a, she's a, a catatonic vegetable on the bed. He doesn't even really look at her. He just sits down. He starts making his notes. The second time he goes back, the moment we're talking about, or uh, leading up to what we're talking about, he has to take some pictures of her to go into the settlement meeting because he wants to use that as leverage to show the the hospital and the, uh, the the defendants, look, this is what you've done to her. While he's taking the pictures. Polaroids, I might add. Polaroids. Mm. Sydney, Lumet, Lumet, whatever, Lumet. He decided to let Paul take the pictures slowly, just two, two angles. And then he sets them down on a bed and you watch in real time as these photos develop. And then it cuts to Paul and he just has this moment that we're discussing where he realizes for the first time i love it it's one of my favorite meta things sydney realized what he was doing with cinema with paul capturing and having to actually look at her this kind of person that most of the time we do not look at people like that you guys we choose to not see people who are that fucked up who have been that hurt society doesn't want to know about them we we want them to settle out of court we don't want to talk about it he has to look at them and then sydney lament makes you look at it and then it cuts to that close-up of paul and you're right, dude. Nothing needs to be fucking said. He no. is, we are right there with him. He takes his time. And then it leads to this beautiful sequence. And then, in then the, the, in the, the uh, inverse of that, when he's sitting there talking to them and he wants to take that right. money, but he can't. He realizes that money will pull him out of the holes he, he's in, but he just can't do it. He'd like it, it, He'll lose his soul. Yeah. Yeah. And then so there's, starts there's raising... another one at the end of the film when he uh, goes to meet the woman who is his girlfriend in the hotel <laughs> as well, which I'll talk about later. Yeah, I want to oh get. In, God, I want to get into the whole Charlotte Rampling character because let's that do was, it, dude. But I'll, yeah. I'll tell you one thing: like this, uh, this really puts into perspective. I think this was like the end of an era in cinematography techniques because, like, this was a wide coverage. Standard, a lot of mm-hmm. no, a lot of standard panning cameras and a lot of answering shots and stuff like that. They they really only moved the camera once or twice along the track, um, and I feel like they were long shots that let you embrace the performances and stuff and it's like you just you don't see that anymore because now they have to you know make something flash or change a scene to hold people and stop them pulling their phones out of their pockets exactly so i'm trying to be i want to be specific about this um i watched this with my parents and my my brother-in-law and we were all chit-chatting about it afterwards and i was curious if they felt like it was too slow and they all they all still enjoyed it but as we're saying right now they noticed that it was slower and they all kind of started talking about how they felt like when, as soon as something would happen at the end of a scene or a sequence that you would, in a normal, like a movie that's made today, that would create momentum. And we would use mm-hmm. that to lead us into a cut no, to another momentous right moment. But they take you right back, back to that right. slow. And I, I appreciate it. Again, you're going to have to, if you're not used to this kind of pacing, you might have to work for it. You probably should because... That is probably the most realistic lawyer story that I've seen in a long time. It doesn't feel like, I love Aaron Sorkin, but it doesn't feel like chop, 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 dialogue, right. few good men, we're there, we're there, we're there. It will feel like we made this breakthrough and then 
we are back to square one. We're going to have to actually walk and travel and interview this person. It's going to feel like we're nowhere. And then we're going to get something and all over again. So I really appreciated that it was the, it did that with the editing. It's like the subject matter is so heavy that by the movie being so slow in tempo, it makes it sink in a little bit more because, you know, the uncomfortable scenes, you sort of want them to be over so you can feel better and it won't let you do that. It just keeps yeah. you in, keeps mm-hmm. you in the moment of, of sadness, just a couple of beats longer. And that's the difference in a movie made in, in 1982 versus what we have today. Yeah. You're right. And he, and, he, and the, the weight, I like what you said about just real fast, Dave, uh, mm. you were talking about the color earlier. Mm. You talk, and then Dave, you were just talking about the cinematography. All of these things are are informed by Paul's character. I felt like I was in this dark, heavy, hungover place. Even though he was trying to crawl out of that space, he had created that life for himself. And there was just this, this darkness that he was traveling around in. The only light in that story was the hope that he had to actually try to find some redemption. And it yeah. just kept getting cut back and cut back and cut back. So I felt like aesthetically as well, technically, aesthetically, everything was so informed. You just do not see stories that are that connected in anymore from like from the all the elements. And you know, I think you need directors like this and actors like this who understand uh, it's going to do something unique. Again, I'm trying to think of another courtroom drama that has this kind of um, that left this kind of impression on me with the with the stuff we're talking about. Not just a good quote, courtroom drama, but like something that has this kind of weight to it. Uh, Primal yeah. Fear? Maybe. Oh, fuck. Primal yeah. Fear is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Thank you. Sim- similar <laughs> That's a good similar subject matter, too. S- similar aesthetic, similar color scheme. Really draft. Uh, did the color, sun color ever shine out. in the verdict? Did you ever see the sunshine or was everything gray and snowy? Even when he went to New York to visit Caitlin Costello in the schoolyard, mm-hmm. it was just dark and gray and you know, everything yeah. was just overcast, the whole movie, which which made the tone even heavier to me. Cause, yes. No, you know. I totally agree. Hmm. Dave, what were you going to say? I feel like I cut you um, off. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would say a couple of fun things I noticed. When uh, when he was looking for his witness and he went to the doctor's house mm. and he, the, he gets out of the cab and stands there for a second, was it just me or did they mimic the uh, exorcist shot there? Kind of looked like it, didn't it? Gets out of the cab, <laughs> he's standing in the light, he poses for a second, then he moves to the door. It was, I was like, that's the exorcist shot. You know, I think he was on the end of the sidewalk there, right? He walked like all the way up the sidewalk. I didn't notice no, that, but I'm going to go watch soon, it again. It's soon after he, no, straight straight go, after like, he gets out of the cab, he just stops for a second. Mm-hmm. I wanted to point this out that um, the obviously... The was the fog. Uh, before, like, Hopefully this will lead us into talking about Charlotte as well, but the performances in general, again, the way Sidney Lumet chooses to capture people, and I think this is true with most of his work. He came about in television in the 50s and 60s and then started making movies and he's made amazing movies all the way up until he died in the 2000s. And he kept doing coverage like you're talking about, Dave. He adapted with the times a little bit, but I think he came about, and this is why I love the directors from that era so much, at a time when the acting characters informed everything and they drove the story and they drove the way that you should film it. So, yes, there are movies from older golden age of Hollywood, 50s, 60s, 70s, that use a lot of dubbing. There are definitely movies that Mm -hmm. do that. But there are also directors like him and movies like this that because they had the luxury is probably not the right word, but because they chose to cover scenes the way they did, actors got to act. They got to record 
on-set dialogue, take their time, and actually get the nuance of that so it didn't feel so moment-to-moment with the way they were cutting it in between tights and close-ups, and you were wondering if why it sounded a little bit different in one shot. You got to actually see actors play an entire scene. That moment mm. at the very beginning when Jack Warden comes in after Paul Newman has trashed his fucking office, and he picks him up and puts him on the couch, and he gives him the whole monologue, I can't do this shit anymore monologue. That right. whole thing is one fucking take. And you get to just see these two powerhouses putting on a show for you, and you know it's good because you don't even think about the fact that they haven't cut. And we just never, ever, ever see mm. that anymore. And it's almost so rare nowadays that you almost notice it nowadays. It's almost like, oh, that director was trying to do mm. something intentional with this long take. It, it kind of made me sad because you just don't really get to see. Um, I'm sure there are actors that are that good now for sure. And I don't think we get to see them stretch their legs the way they got to in the 70s and 80s and 60s. Here's another courtroom drama for you and justice for all. Remember that? Justice for all. Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. Fucking wonderful. That, Jack Warden was in that, then that's what I'm out of order. Me. You're <laughs> out of order. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about fucking Charlotte Rampling. I've always loved her. I fucking love that woman. 45 years, 44 years, a couple years ago. She's fucking amazing. And yeah. she's been great in everything I've ever I mean, seen. I, can, I did not I know she was in this movie. The, the, scene I'm, the scene I'm talking about at the end, uh, near the end, where he goes to, like, basically, it turns out there's a betrayal, and he finds out about the betrayal <laughs> right. just beforehand. Uh, before he goes to meet her, and he walks in, he doesn't say a thing. Doesn't have and to. He, it's just on him, and it's just he just communicates to her that I know, and then it, it cuts to her, and she does the same thing back to him. It's like, oh I God, know he you knows know. what's yeah. he what's he gonna do? And up until that point, it's a phenomenal performance, and I like I really wish he hadn't punched her in the face at the end of that because for it just fucking ruined it for me. Oh, did it ruin it for you? It was very uncomfortable. Yeah, no it was an, an uncomfortable scene. It is an uncomfortable scene. I know I know it's a different time. It didn't The scene would not have suffered if it didn't have it. No, he could have just looked at her, you know, and walked away. And walked away. Yeah. But he popped her and you, you know, and you couldn't I, I even just tell. grew up, you never hit a woman. <laughs> you just don't do it. You turn and you walk away and Yeah. But you know, we we have all these uh movies nowadays with with females kickboxing and superheroes and they're kicking everybody's ass and they're getting punched in the face maybe you're not seeing all the blood uh but what's so different about that is that you know she was standing there uh defenseless and Mm. he just reared back and cold cocked her and it was just terrible you know, it was just awful. I, I had the same feeling the first time I saw that movie, uh, as Dave said he had. You just thought, you know, that just that wasn't necessary to make the point yeah. that and she had done something so yeah, bad. Especially at that point, just before, like this happens just before like the climax of the film. Yeah. So you've literally made ev- like everyone hate the main character a little bit inside. Yeah. For a modern audience, so for a mo- like for like well, talking about right, for so a modern the- audience, that that it's not going to work like that particular moment. No, but the rest of the of film not. has a phenomenal. I know what yeah. you mean, but I'm so I'm still going to use the the time capsule argument. Like, of course, it was terrible, and he should not have done that. And structurally, I don't know if it. I wonder if they asked themselves because we're going to do that moment at the end in the uh, outside the actual courtroom in City Hall, where we just look at each other across the place, and then she leaves. I wonder if they thought we got to have some kind of. Something has to climax here in this first scene when he confronts her. But Mm. I ultimately thought, Dave, that they wanted us to feel like 
this guy isn't a hero. He is a he is a broken human being that was brought to a place where he did something that brought him back down to he lowered his quality in our eyes. I think they wanted us to lose a little respect for him in that scene. I don't think that was good for you. You punched that fucking woman. I don't think we were supposed to feel no, that way. No. Yeah, no. Even even then in 1982, I don't think that's what Sidney Lumet wanted. It's like his down and out yeah. character was about to be redeemed and yes. they didn't want him to be completely redeemed by winning this case. So they pulled him back and made him a little bit disgusting by what yes. he did. I think there bar. is a there yeah. is a there is a an addict's desperation that I was sense there's like a creepy crawly thing that I was sensing in his character. And I still, throughout the entire fucking movie, was not a hundred percent sure why he was fighting so hard for this case. I wanted to believe that he was trying to do the right thing. And then, of course, coupled with that, you want to believe that he was falling in love with Charlotte Rampling's character and that love was going to be the ultimate redeeming factor. And I think this was very precisely supposed to be, they were like, how do we make sure that they don't think he's a great guy by the end of this, that he was just trying to do better than what he's usually done? And I know it's terrible. I'm not disagreeing with you, but it was extremely effective. I was very conflicted by the end of this film for how I felt by him because Mm. he punched that fucking woman. Yeah. I don't know. It I was, just yeah, I just think uh it was bad placing of that scene to have that at that point of the film. Because her character cool. wasn't yeah. her character wasn't loud, obnoxious, uh violent in any way. Um, you know, she did something very despicable and underhanded, but uh she was not she was not a character up until that point that you hated. You know, she was a character that you were pulling for for she and uh, Paul Newman to get together. And then when she betrayed him, and by the way, when, when they, uh, James Mason was about to hand her the check in his office, fixing a drink. Mm-hmm. When I was watching the movie for the first time, I thought it was going to be Jack Warden that was sitting in that seat that was getting the yeah. money. I didn't expect it was going to be her. And so I was completely blindsided by the yeah. way that, you know, took a turn. Me too. I knew somebody was and, betraying him, but I didn't peg her for it because she had just met him, and that didn't make sense to me until after it happened. I fucking hated her. And again, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I would be totally fine if there was not a violent strike against a woman in this movie. That is, that yeah. is I'm not defending that at all. Of course, that is, that is fucking uncalled for all the time. Conflict yeah. resolution, folks. However, <laughs> there was... That look in her eyes and that final close-up before he cold cocks her and she doesn't move him. He winds up and hits her. She sees it coming. I think part of her wanted to, to get some kind of punishment, maybe not physical, but she knew what she was. She fucking hated herself. Yeah, in that for what moment. she had done, yeah. That's, she that's fair, because she, she did just stand there and take that she punch. She like, stood yeah, there. That's fair. The guy got down. Now, what bothered me even more, if we're going to dissect this moment, is that none of the men in the room grabbed Newman. As soon as it was over, they all just kind of walked up to him and like they were checking to see if she was okay, but no one fucking grabbed him and was like, don't fuck, what the fuck are you doing? Get out yeah. of here. You don't hit they that They did woman. kind of pull yeah. him back a little bit after she said, uh, uh, she was still on the floor and she said, don't touch him, leave him alone. And so they mm-hmm. had sort of grabbed him by the shoulders. That's to, true, they grabbed him sure, a little bit. Yeah, to make yeah. sure he didn't go any closer to her. But it was, yeah. it was just and she a said, very... No, uh, you you're know. totally right. I'm glad she says, don't touch yeah. and leave him alone. So yeah. it's fucked up. Mm. But I think it was, if it was parallel 
to as fucked up as the situation was. And then she has that line again, as common, you know, moviegoers nowadays, we might feel a little uncomfortable with it, but it didn't ruin it for me, but I know what you mean, Dave. I, I totally yeah. feel what you mean. I mean it was I'll, very I'll, hard to watch. I, it was hard to it watch. Didn't, I mean, it didn't totally ruin it for me. It made me feel uncomfortable. I guess it was supposed to. Um, and I guess it does really does reinforce that these are humans who are not doing well. Yeah. Um, like they're not doing the, they're, they're not living their best life. There was no best life in this situation. Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah, last I thing mean, I want to talk about all. real fast, yeah. and then we'll wind this up. I wanted to ask you guys what you felt about the judge. And oh, what his an relationship asshole. to the defense oh, I, attorney and how that, if you thought asshole. that, yeah. Yeah. So what is that supposed to be? Did you feel like there was a bigger commentary on the justice system and, and money? I mean, and, he was in their pocket from the get go is the impression I got. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and they, they telegraphed it. And in, in like everyone else was a lot of the other performances were subtle. A lot of the other movements yeah. in the script were subtle, but this judge was just fucking out there. And you like, I, this didn't make kicking judges in the nuts a, a national sport. Nothing would, yeah. <laughs> quite frankly. And he's, what was he said? If you know, if you're going to uh, interview my witnesses, try not to lose my case for me. It was a great line. <laughs> yes. Fucking beautiful. Yeah. I've that never seen that before. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen a judge ask a question before. I'm not a lawyer, of course, but I've never, I didn't know that was a thing. I thought that I knew they could clarify stuff, but I, I had never seen yeah. that before. That was very effective. He just took over the I mean, examination and that yeah. was just, but it was obvious that, you know, the big right. law firm that represented the, the, the hospital was, you know, someone who he had come in contact with and known and, and respected them and their work. So therefore, he was on their side and certainly not on Paul Newman's side, you know. Frank, yeah. Trying Frank to get Gallen. him to settle in, that that first, in great, the first scene. It was a great performance by that guy because he, like, to play a character that you know people are going to hate is yeah. very, very hard. And yeah. the comb and over the, didn't he help. Played, that huge that comb didn't over help. didn't help. I mean, but right? they, that's what I'm saying. They, <laughs> they cast a guy who looks kind of weaselly, and it, it was a weaselly character. But you're right, Dave. There was enough nuance there that I wasn't. I, we all knew how we were supposed to feel, but it didn't seem uh, overbearing. It didn't seem too indicative. I still felt like I was like, "Is this? Mm. How is this a real thing in the real world?" Also, the way I he think, carried himself and um, like the hair and everything, he kind of reminded me of. Like the early pilgrims, the like devout religious, like the Puritans, the Puritans, yeah, yeah, yeah. Puritans. yeah it was that's very, what he reminded yeah. me of the way he was set up, and with yep. this holier yep. than thou sort of uh, air about him. Yeah, mm. yeah, I didn't. The final thing for me with that was the uh, the way he navigated in the courtroom when the copy, the photocopy of the original entry data from the hospital that showed she had eaten one hour ago, mm-hmm. the way he went. The, 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 everything about that, the way he performed it, the scene, the way um, James Mason was arguing with him. The judge was initially thinking this will be admitted as evidence. The precedent came in mm-hmm. uh, from James Mason, and you just saw the man. It Split. didn't even feel yeah. like they had already shook hands on a certain price. It was just a given that, that yeah. we are going to influence your decisions, yeah. and blo- you cannot I'll, you know, make I'm, your own decisions. I'll yeah. cock block we'll them yeah. whenever we'll do I can. We can. Yeah, yeah, to make this go. And then away. Paul Newman, Paul Newman, fucking that scene right after that when they went back there and he fucking screamed at him. That was probably my favorite scene in the oh, whole yeah. movie when he yeah. finally yeah, that lost was, it. That, yeah, that had my attention a lot. To um, me, though, fun, fun, happy discovery. Yeah. Actually, when I was uh, searching for this film, uh, just to sidebar a little. Uh, I was discovered on Stars. Uh, I don't know why it turned up in the same search, but they have the entire series of Knight Rider. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> 
you said you said the verdict into your Apple TV remote and put stars the, uh, yeah, I, off. I put I put it in stars. I and I I said the verdict and Knight Rider came up. That's hilarious. All right. So any final yeah. thoughts? The verdict is fucking beautiful. I love it. It was any a great movie. And and uh, uh, the girl, the lady who played uh, Caitlin Costello, Lindsay Krause, oh, yes. she was the wife of the uh, um, uh, screenplay writer David Mamet. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And this was an early Mamet script, which yes. I loved. And yeah. uh, she, I thought she was great, and I thought she looked familiar when I'm uh, when I'm watching the movie again. And I, where do I know her from? And then, of course, I, I ran a an IMDb on Lindsay Krause, and she was in All the President's mm-hmm. Men. She was in The yep. Arrival. Did you ever see the sci-fi The Arrival with uh, uh, yeah, Charlie from Sheen? Nineteen ninety-six. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Charlie yep. Sheen. Yeah, yeah. 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 And she played like a doctor or something like that, a biologist, but. Yeah, it was a great Charlie, movie. Charlie doesn't really act in that. He just plays himself. <laughs> oh, hey. It worked. It worked, Dave. Don't you, yeah, you fucking drink your beer. I mean, I mean <laughs> I'm running low, guys. Yeah, I'm already on number two. <laughs> I mean, for me, this was a, a good movie with some fantastic performances, and I'm glad that I finally watched it. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if I'll ever watch it again, though. Well, it, it, yeah. it, it had a sad, depressing air about it. And, mm. I, you know, my favorite part of the whole movie is when you know, uh, they, the jury finds for the plaintiff and then they go, but is there a limit to how much we can give? That's Fuck about, yes, oh, dude. That's yes. Yep. That's beautiful. Yes. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap this up. Hmm. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the thing. The thing. The thing. Must've been up all night thinking of that title. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> And we're back. We're back. back. We're back. <laughs> we're back. All right. We just talked about the verdict. Sidney Lumet, Paul Newman. That was fun. That movie's dark. We talked a little bit on the break. Maybe a tough movie to rewatch over and over again, especially yeah, during yeah. a scary yeah. pandemic. Mm. But uh, a great movie nonetheless. I'm glad we discussed it. The next movie we're going to be talking about is again from 1982, of course. It is John Carpenter's remake of The Thing. Little blurb from the IMDb summary. A research team in Antarctica is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. So we have Antarctica set up. Obviously, nothing is down on that motherfucker except for science bases from each country that has representation there. So obviously, we are following the U.S. perspective, and it opens with uh, this, this wolf being chased by a helicopter. It leads to the U.S. camp. Shit starts, shit starts hitting the fan because they realize yeah. that there is some kind of alien species that has been in Antarctica and is infiltrating different camps. And this thing can turn into and mimic any kind of molecular biology and it starts taking over and it's a pick them off movie. So we start having the entire team not sure who's been infected yet and they get picked off one by one by one by one by one. It's one of those horror stories. It's maybe... My favorite pick them off movies of all yeah. time. I fucking love I mean, this the movie. Thing, the thing I love about this is like it's it's well written in the fact that from the beginning, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like they're in a helicopter shooting at a wolf. Yeah, it's running is it away. a wolf or a then, dog? Because it's, they, it's, they dog, call them dogs well, yeah, throughout. I think it's a but, half Malamute, half husky. Yeah, actually, right. I think it is they a dog. You're right. I, think, yeah. dogs, I think it's a dog. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like they're shooting at this dog, sorry. And uh, then 
they end up going like it's is it the who is it the Swiss, Norwegian? it Switzerland? It's the Norwegians. Norwegians. Oh, it's the yeah. Norwegians. Yeah, I should know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, they do that they, in the movie. They, yeah, <laughs> they're like shit they do. No, it's the Norwegians. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose either. Um, <laughs> but they like they chase it right into the American camp, and you're like, why the f- what the fuck's going on? Why are they chasing this dog? Why they, they're throwing dynamite at this dog? They're trying to kill this dog. And yeah. you're like, I hate these guys. And they land and they get out and they start like screaming at them in Norwegian. And uh, someone actually did a translation and the like the actual translation of what they're yelling is, what are you doing? That's not a dog. Get the fuck away from it, you idiot. Or something to, the, to that wow. effect. Like they're that, literally, yeah. in, if you understood Norwegian, the movie's blown for you. But yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, and it, that's how it begins. And you're like, why are these guys trying to kill this dog? And they take this dog in. And as it turns out, not good. And that dog is one of the best fucking actors in the film. You know what? Probably. It's actually not, it's actually Daniel Day Lewis in, uh, in character. Oh, as a dog. It's Daniel Day Lewis in a dog suit. <laughs> yeah. uh, I should have I mean, known. Yeah. It was from my left dog. Yes, it's <laughs> my left dog. I mean, that dog acting was incredible. The pauses it took. I can't. I cannot believe. And it didn't the eyeball the camera once. That fucking dog. <laughs> like, I mean, you can right, tell so, that dog was w- weird. You could something was weird about that dog. dog was, so. That dog was touched. Yeah. yeah. But it was. It so was let's amazing. jump right into it. I, uh, like I said, I love this movie. I've. I like John Carpenter. I know some people, especially from people, some people from my generation, because I think most of his success happened in the late seventies, eighties. And people in the 90s who grew up with me maybe remember him from The Vampires, his later stuff. And I I like his earlier stuff more. So it wasn't until I watched Escape from L.A., The Fog, The Thing, that I started really getting obsessed with him. But I'm a huge John Carpenter fan. This is the first time he did not compose his original score. He got a pretty Mm. decent composer by the name of Ennio Morricone. Oh, who's that? To to step in. (laughs) Uh, Ennio's score and this movie were destroyed at the box office. The score, they did not the score was well. nominated for a Razzie. It was nominated yeah. for a Razzie. The movie the f- was nominated fun, for a Fun little piece it, of trivia uh, on IMDb that I found. Um, they didn't use all of the music that he wrote for this film, and he later used some of that music in The Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight, yeah, I saw that. And it and won of course, an Oscar. It won an Oscar. And of course, as, as, as anyone who has watched, you know, watched this movie, it's obvious you hear that score. And John Carpenter's early scores too definitely have that electronic synthy influence. Yeah. Morricone mm-hmm. just it, it might be even better that than him. There would be no Hans Zimmer. There would be no people who use more percussive, um, kind of heartbeat style ambient soundscapey kind of stuff to like create tension underneath. He was he was not working with strings, and we hear it emulated all the time now in sci-fi. So fuck you, nineteen eighty two moviegoers. Who thought that this thing sucked? All of this yeah. was cutting it edge. It wasn't just them. I mean, um, there was a guy, uh, Alan Spencer, worked for Starlog. Uh, he wrote the review that John Carpenter was never meant to direct science fiction horror movies. He's better suited to direct traffic accidents, train wrecks, and public floggings. That was yeah. the fuck. And I'm sorry, to fall back on our earlier com- comment, like, why, why is that even necessary? You've just reviewed, and I'm, I'm sorry, this did not age well, because you've just reviewed what has become one of the biggest fucking cult classic films. I know. So why is this movie so good, you guys? Why do you love this movie? Well, the thing about it is, is by the time this movie came out, John Carpenter was sort of a household name when it when it comes to horror movies. What year was Halloween? Was it 78 or was it eight. more like 80? I think it was 8, right? Okay, eight. Um, 78. Uh, and then, so he does this in 82, and 
anytime it's John Carpenter's Halloween or somebody else's movie, you'd know they've reached a certain level of notoriety. And, uh, I mean, this thing is suspenseful from the first frame. Uh, as you talk about the, the, the helicopters trying to kill the dog and, and dog lovers are going, what are you, what are you doing? What are you trying yeah. to shoot that dog for? And then fall out of the helicopter. You asshole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the, the helicopter lands and, and the, the action and suspense starts and you, the moviegoer is going, what is so fucked up about this dog that. It's got these people doing this, and then you're you're pulled into it, and I mean, and they how, blow up their own fucking helicopter. Yeah, that's how desperate they are to kill the dog, and and mustacheless Wilford Brimley, you know, yes. this is probably before he had diabetes, uh, is in this diabetes. thing as you know, and I mean, it was just a great cast. Uh, yes, uh, Kurt Russell. I'm sure they told him to grow a beard so he wouldn't look like he was 15. Uh, because he, he was very young in his career. Apparently that took a year. Yeah. To grow. And, that and they just wanted, I think they just wanted him to look different than Snake then, Plissken yeah, out of Escape, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. which was just a year before. So there's, I want to ask you guys if this landed for you, because it sounds like it did, because you guys like this movie too. But this, my favorite thing about this movie, and I noticed it the first time I, when I was a kid, even before I get teenager, before I got into like filmmaking and started thinking about how the sausage was made, there is a weird paradox for this horror movie. And John Carpenter does it in his other stuff, but this is the best representation of it. The acting scenes that are, because he uses a lot of special character makeup, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment. Yeah. The acting scenes are very slow paced. He takes his time. He lets his actors do their work. Very similar to what we, kind of, we were talking about with the mm. verdict. There is no really intense jump, 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 jump with trying to create the point of view through the humans of how quickly and out of control the event is happening to them. He takes his time with that. And yet, unlike every other horror movie rule, he shows you everything about his monsters. He shows mm. all of the details. He shows all of the gore. He doesn't really make you imagine too much about what's happening because he relies so heavily on special effects makeup. And it fucking works, dude. There are so I, many I, times where the rule is, you know, don't show it. Never yeah. show it until you absolutely have yeah. to show it. He figured I think out this, a balance. I think in this case it, it works. works because he showed it and every incarnation of it is different. And this film builds on your paranoia of, okay, yeah. everyone, including the lead fucking character, could be this thing. And you don't know which direction it's coming from. You're right. So when it's the thing, when it's the thing in its raw form and it's transforming, we can see it. He doesn't show it to us when it's possibly a, one of the humans yeah. that we don't it, know who it has could it be yet. it could be one person it could be three people right it could be two people and a dog you don't know but see I, I, I love this movie and and i i absolutely agree with you on everything except i thought mm -hmm. some of the gore stayed on the screen too long okay. i would have liked to have had a little more hitchcock uh sense of quick flashes you know show me that grotesque uh creature but get the camera off of it and let, let my mind do some extra work. Let me go for uh, but, work, yeah. but again, this is, this is 1982 creature effects were, you know, relatively kind of new on the scene where they were able to do this much stuff. And I think there was a little bit of, Hey, we got to showcase this. Whereas uh, as much as I loved it, a, a little bit of less is more would have, I think made it more suspenseful because, you know, the way they played all these scenes in the darkness inside this you know station 
and then out on the snow in the darkness was just very creepy and effective to to give you chills. But it was, yeah, it was good. No, I totally agree with you. I think, I guess for me, I've classified it in my mind more as a thriller than horror because because he did choose to show us so much, uh, so mm. much. So we weren't really sitting there. I wasn't anticipating actually getting scared from this movie, and I don't think I ever have been. But there's, it's that's why it kind of sits in that place in between the thriller and the horror for me. It doesn't. Yeah. It's a that John one, Carpenter film. That one CPR scene gets me every time. But apart from that. Oh yeah, where he opens his chest and yeah, yeah. Holy fucking shit! Good so job. the real star of this movie, the real star of this movie is a special effects makeup artist named Rob Botton. Yeah, who was yeah. 22 years old when he did this. You guys, he yeah. had he experienced a a mental breakdown before the movie was finished because he was pushed so hard. 22. I need to and look and see. Still appreciated 38 years later. Yeah. I need to look on. Uh, uh, Google and see if if uh, he's the same guy that seven years later would do a movie called Leviathan, where they had very Ooh, similar yeah. type creatures that were you know combined entities all together. So he did didn't you see do that movie? Leviathan. Levi- he did. He didn't do Leviathan, but he did do. Um, he did the fog and the thing, mm-hmm. but then Love he the eventually fog. did um, RoboCop. He did Basic Instinct. Seven, the first Mission Impossible, Fear, uh, Fight Club, the first remake of Charlie's Angels. So he stayed in the business for a while. You can definitely see his aesthetic. Like, but you're right, Leviathan. Yeah. It did remind me a lot of that yeah. that creature makeup from yeah. those late. Uh, it was just a, it was a great cast of people. Um, you know, none really big stars except for uh, uh, Kurt Russell. But uh, a lot of great character actors, Richard Dysart, Richard Masseur was in it as well. And um, uh, I thought it just, the characters played very well. Uh, Keith David was great. Yes. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I don't yeah. know whether you noticed as well, uh, cinematography-wise, they used a lot of diopters in this. Um, the diopter lens is basically where it, it's a dual focus lens. So you have a person right in front of the camera in focus and a person in the extreme background in focus at the same time. Like uh, Orson Welles, who was the guy who yeah. did all his stuff? He was super obsessed with that, right? The long yeah, range they, focal yeah, length. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they use them. They use them a lot for very. And it's called a di- diopter. Uh, it's called a diopter. Yeah, I just it's, learned something. See, I'm hanging around with smart see, people. Learning so much. <laughs> but yeah, like anything that has diopter lenses, and I, I must admit that I did not know that biologists used Atari 2600s for their simulations. That simulation, that computer simulation. (laughs) That graphic is so great. Look at that cell. Take over that other cell. Yeah. In super slow. It's the opposite of the verdict. It's like, wait, wait, this is pretty complex. We have to spell this out for the audience. Let's get an Atari. How about, I love the, uh, The when he's playing his his chess game at the beginning. (laughs) He just fucking tears the computer apart. Yeah, dumps his drink, his scotch into the. The guts of the computer. Also, did did Kurt Russell invent the pre-kill line? Like, and fuck you too, dynamite. <laughs> you knew it was coming. Yeah. You could just yeah. smell it coming, right? Yeah. What'd you think of, uh, I, I'm, yeah, I guess I kind of wanted to ask about the performances. You kind of already touched on it, Jack, but like the. Well, they were Again. very believable, and yeah, they're super grounded. They're all they were all seasoned actors. So often in the horror movie genre, you have uh, young actors who are trying to cut their teeth and get into the business, yeah. and because people take chances as audience members on horror movies that they might not mm-hmm. take on 
serious dramas or comedies. So this was this one in all of his movies stand out to me because he always casts people who are are, are very good at what they do and they have careers under their belt. So again, you kind of go into it thinking a little bit differently about the movie. You're not anticipating yeah. just a hot girl running from a guy with a knife. There's there's going to be more to the scene work. Well, you kind of felt the mistrust that they had for each other. You kind of felt that. Oh yeah. And in the whole movie, and and you know, self preservation takes over for these people, and they're willing to do whatever they can to survive themselves. And that means, if I don't know that you're not one of those things and, you know, I'm going to point a gun at you. It was just, it was very in your face kind of I mean, yeah, there's there's two, there's two ways you can do these sort of films. And it's one is to let the audience in so that they know where the monster is and it's how long till the other people find out or how, how long till the kill happens. Or the other one is to put the audience in the same place as everyone else. It's like, you don't know who the fucking monster is at any point. Any one of these things could turn into the people could turn into a killer. Yeah. yeah, and they went with the ladder, and they put they put you in the same position as everyone in that station, and you felt it. They did it yeah. well. They did it really well. One of my favorite scenes reason, was the uh, the blood and the wire, the hot wire and the blood to see who was. That is yeah, a that famous was, scene. That, that is, is such a great. So effective. So yeah. simple. There was uh, Dave. I mean, we could we could make that movie. You know, we could do that scene. Like that's a that's mm-hmm. super effective. It's just good storytelling. I, did you did you read the love notes what you from guys the cinematography saying, though, um, where they hinted at who it actually was, like it foreshadowed it. Because one of the the person that's actually the thing, uh, their face is shadowed. It's not like everyone else has a full face. When it shows the wide of all yeah. of them sitting, yeah. sitting yeah. in all so, four of them, that's yep. good. It, yeah, this like Just little subliminal hints. Yeah, I think one <sighs> reason. I think one reason what you guys are saying worked for me so well is that w- w- with this whole thing of the seasoned actors, there he also played against the whole. Let's establish uh, really basic archetypes immediately to let the audience in on who these people are. I'm not saying that he didn't use some archetypes. Like you still had like the doctor, the you know for a while you don't even know who the fuck is Kurt Russell. Like what's yeah. what's his job? Yeah. <laughs> but he's there the are pilot, some. There are enough of them. <laughs> he's the pilot. Like whatever <laughs> the fuck, right? <laughs> but there are enough people involved, <clears throat> and they're not super cliche archetypes. They're just. You just know that they need each other at the beginning. So I also felt like there was a little bit more complexity because I was relying on this group of people to get through this, and I didn't have any judgment for any of them yet because one of them was the the dumb jock or the hot slutty cheerleader or the things that we usually see very quickly in slasher mm. movies. So it was fun watching him break down their relationships and for us to get to know these individuals as the you know, the picking off and the breaking down was happening in yep. real time. We were learning who they were as it was happening, as opposed to a very quick establishment. And uh, the yeah. funny thing is, if you break it down to like horror film rules, where like, for instance, Cabin in the Woods, where you have like the, the fool, whore, right? the last girl, the, the, the nerd, fool. that sort of thing, the... they threw all of that out the window. That's what I'm saying. And just dude. put yeah, everyone exactly. in, an, in an Arctic station and just made it work. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it worked. And and what a clear uh again, I, I I have not seen the original, so I don't know if they do this in the original, but I thought it was so effective to the first point of view that I felt attached to was we just made fun of it, but it's when the doctor is finally seeing the cells attack the other cells. And the first that the first point of view is the doctor's, the most sane scientific mind there. And he is the one who leaves us first. Yes. We we immediately 
have his point of view and then it is taken away from us yeah. very quickly. I loved that. I thought that was so effective because once again, I thought I was finally, I was finally getting some footing and they, yeah. they took it away from me. In the I original, there was this thing yeah. in there, but yeah. in the original though, it's not, it's not a entity that can take over and morph, you know, into somebody else. It's, it's literally just a creature, which is James Arness wrapped up like a mummy, basically who is terrorizing okay. the people in this Arctic station just because he's an alien and you really don't know that much about him. But, you know, it's 1951, it's black and white, it's, uh, you know, very scary and uh, mysterious for that particular time, mm -hmm. uh, predating the Twilight Zone and stuff like that. But it's an interesting watch if you... You should go back and do the, and it I was called. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I didn't like, I didn't realize till we watched this that, that there was like, it was a remake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You so said I last week, will, you said not back. the remake. This is the remake of the original. Yeah. I meant the remake of the remake. <laughs> oh, the remake of the remake. Yeah. 1951. Yeah. It was called the thing. And then in smaller uh, font from another world. Underneath it was the subtext. They subtitled it. Yeah. But uh, this was. <laughs> Uh, and apparently there was another short story, Who Goes There, uh, mm. a novella by John W. Campbell that was also the um, basis for the script for this particular John Carpenter film. So yeah. wow. I'll have to check I mean, that out as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to look that up as well because, I mean, the fact of the matter is, like, arguments are still happening over this film. Like, they, they still do screenings of this film. They still do, like... Like Q and A's of this film, and one of the biggest questions everyone still gets asked is which one. Like at the end, is there still one? Is one of them a thing? And it, these arguments are still happening, like yeah. thirty eight years later. And uh, there we go. There go. <laughs> oh, we got a gusher. Go he gushed, he gushed himself. You just gave yourself that fucking. Yeah, I had to. That my, that evil hand, man. It, it doesn't. It does its own thing. But you know, well, let's do a little bit of it right now. Do you guys think one of them is the fucking thing? I mean, even I actually think they're and... both. I think they're both clean. I, I think that's that's the way I took it was that they they both they were sitting there and sharing a bottle of booze. They were too exhausted to do anything but just you know yeah. sit there in the cold. And that said to me they're the only two left and the thing and everybody that was infected by it has died. And until I did the research for this film, I didn't realize people hated it. Yeah. I've never met yeah. anybody who didn't love John Carpenter's exactly. The Thing. Yeah. I mean, it's... I'm glad to no, hear you it, say it, that. It developed, I it developed a cult, like they hated Blade yeah. Runner too that came out in the same year. Yeah. Um, and then they both developed a cult classic. Yeah. Following. Like, Which is so touching because well, I saw, I read that, uh, I read that John Carpenter said this was his favorite film that he made it and it hurt him the worst yes when people canned it and i'm always curious i wish you know i wish i knew one of these directors at that level that had that exact circumstance happen to them what does it feel like to have it completely rejected and then over time to know that for a small group of people they, they are fucking obsessed with it it's their favorite cult classic it's their I, one I, that I, they think of i feel like it'd go from absolute disappointment and loss of faith in yourself to yes vindication to oh my god will you shut up about who's still the thing at the end yeah 
because like there are like I look, I went down the rabbit hole looking this up. There are competing theories. Like there's a theory that because he was making Molotov cocktails, the the bottle that he actually handed him at the end is full of gasoline, and the thing wouldn't know that and drank it and went mm, yum, and so he knows that it's the thing. And like, there's all these competing theories. That's like, good. and then they go that's back to the, oh, yeah. the two th- like the 2011 film, which is a prequel apparently, um, establishes that it can't mimic jewelry. And they're like, well, he can't be the thing because he still has his earring in. And like, there's Whoa. all these arguments that ha- like everyone's like formed this whole fucking mythology about this thing. And I mean, honestly, isn't that what makes that's what like, makes a good film, film great? Yeah, yeah. If people I mean, care enough yeah. about it to to ma- make up stuff and add stuff to the story i mean look yeah, at roddenberry and star trek that was a oh flop God, got yeah. canceled and and then you guys did a whole series on uh you know the franchise so yeah see i so listen you, to I mean, you know, essentially if you Sci-fi. if you make yeah. uh, if you make a movie and it's still getting like midnight screenings and drive-in screenings and whatever screenings like 38 years later and people are still in q a arguing over who was the thing at the end like you've done your job yeah. Yes. And why is it almost always sci-fi and horror that get these kind of intense cult followings? Like, what do you think it is about the the fear and this thing that we get obsessed with of, of they, never knowing the answer they leave and we you have to hanging. fight with each other? Yeah, and I think some critics yeah. uh, have their head up their ass. And, you know, if it's yeah. not as... I'm not even going to buzz that. If it's not something... <laughs> if, <laughs> no. if it's not something that is, you know, impactful... Uh, for the future of mankind as a film, they pan it when it, it, you know, you go to the movie, you, what is it? You suspend your disbelief Mm, and you watch a film and you're entertained by it. And like I said, if the pop, you know, popcorn, diet Coke, some goobers, I'm out of there. If Daniel Day Lewis had played this dog, this movie would be heralded as a cinematic. It would be fantastic. Yes. (laughs) Honestly, like, no, I agree with you. It took. I'm drinking. A left-footed dog playing a piano. It would have been a awesome. A left-footed paraplegic dog. He he was her in the verdict in and the then, bed, and, and they would, he's the dog. And, and they would have been so much better dressed as well. No, but you're right. I feel like we talked about uh, Exorcist not too long ago. Jesus. And yes, it kind of ties into our conversation with Wolf of Wall Street last week. Like the Exorcist conversation, that was a big deal because it kind of broke that mold of letting horror into the, okay, we can take this seriously kind of cinema. And then you have the Wolf of Wall Street that we were talking about last week, where we were talking about, look, whether or not you like it, it no one can say this is not well-made and super entertaining. And oh, it was very entertaining. So I and I argue- can't believe you guys didn't talk about the, 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 we, the we people scene in the office where they were throwing Oh my the, God. Yeah. The, the very serious the conversation. Yeah, no, we, about yeah, that. Yeah, we, we lost over that. Yeah. <laughs> But, the, but with I this, I think we thing, leave that as a surprise for everyone. <laughs> that thing is I was so waiting on you to incredible. talk about that part, and it never that happened. And I went, incredible. I know it's so good. But with the thing, it's like a perfect example of like I, I know some people might under might first viewing, second viewing, they might not say, "Look, this is The Exorcist." I know what they mean when they say that, but I still think it is in that world mm. of a serious suspense thriller horror element genre kind of movie, and. It is also so incredibly entertaining. This is one of those, as a you know, as somebody who was not alive when this movie came out, I do not understand how this was panned. I can even, I would even say this: I understand how Blade Runner was less well, was equally less uh, negatively received. I do not understand how the thing was negatively received. 
it seems too accessible. It seems too entertaining. Yeah. There's nothing too if weird about it. If your butt stays it, tight through the most of the movie, it's a good horror movie. That's the way I look at it. So tell me, when you went to go see it, uh, I assume you saw it in the theaters. And I saw it in a packed theater yeah. with, with friends. And it was like, you know, it was, it was a similar experience to Halloween. Uh, you know, everybody cheered when the, you know, the thing got blown up or anytime mm. the, the, um, what do you call it? Flamethrower. Oh, Anytime yeah. the yeah, flamethrower yeah. got turned yeah. on, Why people cheer. Why the scientists have flamethrowers? I mean, really? There <laughs> I mean, they, there's one for every scientist, too. They, yeah. all, they all have their own. Gotta have a flamethrower. But basically, but basically, you're saying, that's what I was asking. Hmm. There weren't regular people who saw regular people, non-critics. There weren't moviegoers who saw it who talked shit about it, right? It was just a critical response? Just a critical thing. Uh, because I Fuck never that. met anybody Dave buzzed those that hated critics, it. Dude. That's why I yeah. said Take yeah. that, critics. critics. I don't, yeah. yeah. I'm I so glad it. you told me that. I, I mean, wanted I, to ask you. I watched it this afternoon so it would be fresh and... Um, we'll I got a little, palate cleanse if a grease too. Yeah. Oh. And I loved yeah, it. I mean, I got into it again. I, I was, it just The time flew by because I was like, yeah, this really... I forgot is, how good this movie a, was. Yeah, it's a well-made yeah. film. All right, so uh, I think we've established, yeah, you should probably see both these movies. Absolutely. Two good ones. Again, once again, 1982 pumped out at least two good ones. There's some other great ones. Yeah. These two are worth watching, you guys. If you yeah. haven't seen E.T., well, I mean, seriously, what the fuck are you doing? But, but yeah, yeah, see these others as well. Oh, no. All right, so we are going to do our usual bit before we get to our uh, conversation about Grease 2, which we're all... A little nervous about and excited about it at the same time. It's very confusing. I we might lose some friends do... on Facebook. <laughs> I, I we're going to do our usual, if Dave is ready, or we're going to yeah, do our random number generator. We're going to try to find our next year. Let's do I, it. I mean, I have this sound effect so that because uh, we couldn't get the rise to ZZ Top songs. Oh. The great effect. Please don't be in the 2000s. Please it be is, older than. It is. Oh, damn it. Oh, my God. We do so many 2000s. It's 2001. 2001. Oh. Not the Stanley Kubrick masterpiece, but the year 2001. <laughs> the actual year. All right. <laughs> we are going to take a quick break. We are going to chit-chat about what the fuck we want to do next week, and then we're going to be right back. It's going to be fun. For Grease 2, Jesus Christ, who's that guy? Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. We're back. We're back. We're back. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> oh my God! Strap yourselves Get in, back. kids. Yeah, you Lord need to strap, uh, strap in or strap on for this one. That was fucking crazy. We just had a weird conversation about the movies of 2001 that we will let you know about at the very end. What an interesting year. We're going to talk about it at the end of this episode. We're going to tell you what we're going to be doing yeah. next week. But for right now. We have done our stretches. We have got two more beers or wine in front of us. We are ready to talk about the cinematic atrocity that is Grease 2. <laughs> Drinking just on the title. Oh That's how you know it's really good. God. You didn't even make it into the fucking segment. I mean, come on. Christ. Oh, my Lord. Have you I, 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 watched I have to make afternoon. an opening statement. May <laughs> I me. make an opening statement? Yeah, tell me. There are some things you shouldn't do. 
and that's make sequels of certain movies. One is The Sting. Sorry, mm-hmm. Jackie Gleason, but we didn't need number two. Mm-hmm. Jaws. The first one was quite sufficient. Uh, the second one was not horrible, but it was totally unnecessary to make. And Grease, fucking Grease, stood alone as yes. far as you know, a, a movie musical. And why in the world you'd come back and make this atrocious piece of shit? Drink your fucking wine. I guess by that time, Robert Stigwood had enough money. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Sorry. Keep going if you want to keep going. I just want to hear you guys talk about this. Seriously, seriously, like I, I, I tuned in this, and the first, it starts with the original characters. Um, the two uh, administration <laughs> teachers trying to put the yeah. flag up, and then that would this, be Eve Arden. Yeah, scream of this scream of tires and a crash, and then it launches into the opening number. I'm like, did the did a fucking bus crash just happen at the beginning of this movie? Like, are all these kids dead? Are they all ghosts? This whole movie. And it's, it's like, it, Jet, I, Dave, you're describing a better movie. You're, what you're doing is describing. What you, I would be. I would be interested in watching that movie. I have a problem with uh, movie musicals to start with. Okay, me, yeah, musicals on. I, I'm sitting in a theater watching a, a stage play, and there's music and dancing and singing. That seems natural to me. But people walking down the street, breaking into song with full soundtrack doesn't seem normal to me. Now I, I said that agree. to my wife, and she went, "Oh, sure, but." teleporting down to the planet from the enterprise is it seems normal to you and i'm like your wife has to drink I yeah, said, yes, drink. <laughs> yes it does it certainly does seems quite normal to me i completely agree i yeah let's let me just say that ahead of time jeff the other co-host of this show who's not with us tonight and i met as majors in music theater yes. in college so we we both have talked about this before, too. I don't think he feels quite as passionate as I do. I really struggle with movie musicals. It lands okay for me if it's done really well on stage. Chicago I have a huge appreciation for that medium. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are a handful of movie musicals mm-hmm. that work for me. Most of them do not. So if it's a bad movie musical, it's going to be one of my least favorite experiences ever. It just feels forced. It right. feels out of now place. The first, I feel like I'm... Yeah. The original Grease worked for me. I think just because it was it was fun and and the characters were great and the music was fantastic. Way better, by the way, than this music. Way fucking better. better. Yeah, let's drink, baby. Let's do it. Was this music? I'm glad, Jack. I'm glad you started because that was all I was thinking about. Was the first thing you said. There are some movies that you just don't should never be remade as a remade or should never have a sequel. Right. And it's, what is that for you guys? Why do you think that's true? Why are there some stories that land so, uh, kind of like the first Grease, in such an absurd, random way that it just works? Some of them are horror movies. Okay. That the never first be Grease worked again. is be- because someone wrote a book and someone wrote some songs that were phenomenal. They spent years writing them and it worked as a musical. They transferred it to a film and it worked as a film. Now, I don't want to suggest that the writer of this particular film does prison time. But if I had access to a time machine and a pound of coke, I'd go back and plant some fucking evidence. I can tell there you, you that. Go. There you Sadly, go. I don't have a time machine. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was yeah, one of the you. best lines I've heard all night. Fuck you, Ken Finkelman and Jim, Jim Jacob. I mean, you guys. No, so I read, did, I read. Did, 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 like, 
it was all Finkelman. The other guys were just the characters that they recycled for this one. You know what? And Ken Finkelman, yeah. let's not even hit on him too hard because I was reading about this. This movie has slimy producers trying to exploit the success of the first one written all over it. Sure. Patricia yeah. Birch and Ken Finkelman did not have a finished script when they started this. Yeah, they didn't. No. They didn't even have a chance. That's why to try Frenchie, to tell Frenchie a good disappears story. halfway through the movie because halfway they decide through. to write her out. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So this was just one of those times where they were so obviously, and you know what? This is what bothers me about movies. Um, maybe it's a little bit different for people who are younger than us who are coming up nowadays in this whole television generation. But for a long time, movies were kind of divided into two things. There were the sell out the movies, like big blockbuster things, which could still be super successful and entertaining. I'm not saying there's anything negative about that, but people knew they were making a lot of money in that part of Hollywood production. And then there right. was like the other half, like the verdict and stuff that were really serious, character driven dramas that won Oscars. This is one of those examples that gives both of those things a terrible fucking name. It's <laughs> yeah, it's when slimy. It's when a slimy producer or production house decides, let's fucking keep jacking off that first one. Let's make as much yep. money as we possibly fucking can. It doesn't matter what we put on screen because people are going to come in and see it and people are stupid. And nothing bothers me more than when they think an audience is dumb enough not to realize it sucks. Also, so congratulations, audiences of 1982, for realizing that this is a piece of shit. And yeah. realizing oh, yeah. that the thing also, is awesome. At this point, it wasn't Grease. It was Screwballs the musical. Yeah. Only Screwballs was better written. Like, do you guys also think that the... And I, I am not, I'm not picking on the actors. Like, it's not their fault. But there was something very magical about the quality of performance from Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. Mm. Yes. And, you know, several of the other, uh, what's her, what's her name? Who and Stockard Channing. Stockard Channing. Thank mm. you. There was, there was, there, there was some really quality talent. So even if you're not a musical person and you sat down for the first grease, you kind of have to be taken away a little bit and have respect for the quality and level of singing ability and acting ability I mean, that it's, didn't it's exist as consistently even, in this. Even when they did Grease live as a performance on, uh, on TV networks, NBC it was, or yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was um, or like, that still worked. Like it's just a better show. as a production, yeah, it was. It, it still worked. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Greece in 1978 followed the very end of the disco craze, where dancing was very, very popular and very a big deal. And Robert Stigwood yeah. had had all his success with, you know, Saturday Night Fever mm -hmm. and uh, the Bee Gees success, and so. Uh, a lot of that carried through into Greece, even though the eras were different. The, it was all about fun and dancing and and music, and that was and they they that, crossed that's they how, crossed that right. with the '80s films that were all about getting with the girl and like nailing the girl and that sort of thing. And it, it's it, but why do we just, know that Greece is a good movie? Because I Greece totally agree word, with, what you, with yeah. what you both just said. But that's why it's proof there was a momentum going into it, and yet it stands the test of time. It stood alone from mm -hmm. Saturday Night Fever yeah. and from those other kinds of 80s movies that had a very similar kind of uh, plot it, because, it, because it's just better, because everything about it is more interesting than this piece of shit that opens with this, this number. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little late on that one, but I knew it was coming. This number at the very beginning 
they do this thing that music theater does sometimes that, that is, I have, I'm very judgmental of music theater because I ensemble care so much about number. that medium. <laughs> it has one of those ensemble numbers at the beginning that pimps you in to being on board for singing and dancing. It doesn't even try to get into it organically. It doesn't even try to kind of surprise you with, with how it develops into song. It just yeah. says we're singing that and dancing blatant. and there's 150 of us. Fuck yeah. you if you don't like it. And we're all and in nobody unison, so it. take <laughs> yeah. that. I mean, yeah. Patricia Birch, who was the director, was the choreographer from Greece. Poor Patricia Birch, dude. Yeah. She did not want to make this movie. Yeah. I feel I mean, bad for no, her. No, she, she did. She did. She stood in and she directed this, but it was the last thing she ever directed. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like she was like, maybe I can make a good movie. And then she had no tools to, to, to make a I good mean, movie. She didn't even know what she was making when she was making it. I mean, if, yeah, if you start making a movie and you don't have a script until like halfway through, then yeah, someone has hobbled you. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. are examples of that. There, Ridley Scott has often gone into production without finishing a script, but he's got enough weight, you know. But Ridley Scott was writing the name, script, right? I was going to say, yeah, he had so much <laughs> influence at those in those productions, and they had so many amazing people around them, and most of them were not remakes of some random cult classic that he was able to act on his feet a little bit. This was, I don't know, every the more I read about this, the more I just felt like this is kind of a tragedy, because I feel like everybody involved was hoping it was going to be something really significant like the first one. Like a cash And it cow. didn't turn out that way for anyone. Yeah. Except for... Riding the God wave bless of, Michelle Pfeiffer. That is the only good thing hot. about this yeah, movie. How fucking hot times, is Michelle yes. Pfeiffer I mean, in this movie? Oh let's just God. focus on Cool Rider for a second. Um, <laughs> I mean, seriously, when they are writing the song, uh, it's like, what rhymes with forever? I know, forever. 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 <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'm sorry. When we got to, yeah, we got to the end of it, and they started spelling out "cool rider." Yes, yeah, oh. yeah, my wife <laughs> yells from the other room, like from the other room. She hasn't even. She sat through 35 minutes of this film. We got to "cool rider." She's gone, and yep. from the other room, I hear this song brought to you by Sesame Street. Honestly, dude, R I T E R. I was like, there like, were several what the times. What are you doing? Uh, there was there were several times when I was watching this where I literally just I said out loud let's just tell our audience real fast Jack sent us a video of him watching this and his dog was on the couch with him howling at, oh at this God. terrible piece of shit movie like dog hate, what uh, song was that I think it was who's that guy it was <laughs> that, that one guy? yeah who's that guy God. oh oh, you mean where they had a motorbike joust <laughs> Yes, that one. And, and then he jumps <laughs> a police car without a fucking ramp. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was it. Yeah. Jack, what was it like when this movie came out, dude? Did people fucking unlike the thing? Nobody did people cared. go see it? Ex- nobody nobody gave a shit. No, I'm nah. hurting in this segment. Gre- Listen, Greece was so big uh, in of itself, um, and, and when people saw the poster and realized that, oh, Greece too. But wait, where's John Travolta and where's Olivia Newton-John? They're not in it. Okay, never mind. Apparently never they came in for meetings right. and then just walked away. Yeah. I read I never, one. Me- I read one meeting. They had one yeah. meeting and then they. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I never wasted my time with it. Uh, saw it much later, um, uh, maybe on VHS or maybe the the first couple of years of DVD. I saw it and went. Mm-hmm. I didn't miss anything. I saw this yeah. shit when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ew, dude. 
How old were you when that happened? Oh, you were like a little kid. I was like 10. You're like, I want to see the number two. And then yeah. you saw it. And you, even, your 10 year old self was like, fuck this fucking. And I didn't go, shit, I didn't go back to musicals until Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Um, what else did Maxwell Caulfield do? Maxwell Caulfield. He was, he was the guy that played, he played the lead against uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. And, uh, oh, he not he, much uh, is the answer. Yeah. yeah, he didn't do a, he complained a lot that it's killed his career for like 10 years. Yeah, apparently he in uh, Dynasty this. or something, wasn't he? He was in Empire Records, he had a small role in that. Mm-hmm. That he was, was in, his uh, comeback. Yeah, that was like kind of a reboot for him. He was in Dynasty, he was in some random show called The Colby's, a little just some TV. Well, The Colby's was a Dynasty spinoff. So okay, okay. had a yeah. spinoff. Jesus, yes. I mean, but, he never uh, got it back. We should talk about Chris McDonald getting his career launched by being yep. in this movie. Yep, mm. and he's he's turned into a great comedic actor and like Happy Gilmore and he did. You know, he plays. He, he I mean, plays, he even had the, pieces of shit like you for shooter! breakfast. Shooter McGavin. <laughs> I mean, does, does he just point to shit, shit in every for breakfast? <laughs> I mean, of course, that's all I thought about. And, and I, I remember thinking, like... I can't see him as anyone this else. This guy, yeah. he is Shooter. I mean, he, he is, is Shooter McGavin, always. But like, always. This, he was in this movie, and he was like, I made it. Like, everyone who was in this movie was thinking, like, this is it. Everyone's going to come see this movie. Mm-hmm. And my entire career is about to explode. And yeah. there were two people who were not intensely negatively affected right. Right. by this movie. Him it's and kind Michelle of like the Star Piper. Wars syndrome. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll tell was, you what, this what is the, this is the hardest redemption I've had since the Hellboy remake, and that had at least two good lines in it. That was rough. I, I think mean, I texted you. About... Go for it. What are you saying? I, I was going to say, I, if you'll recall, I texted you when you first sent this out, and I went, <laughs> yeah. trying to redeem this movie is kind of like raising the Titanic, which we know is in pieces on the ocean floor. And I <laughs> yep. just don't think they're going to get that up, and I don't think we can get this up. And after watching it's this not, movie, you know I couldn't even... get it up either. <laughs> <laughs> My wife, who's very forgiving when it comes to, to movies, you know, she'll say, oh, that was okay. She just, she said, I'm going to bed. She didn't even I'm finish it. Bed. This is, She's it's going to bed. Unlike, yeah. some, other, unlike was, some other bad movies. There'll be some paperwork on the table for you to sign tomorrow, but I'm going to <laughs> yeah, bed right now. I'm going to bed. Yeah. You guys. I didn't think it was going to get any worse until they got to the luau. Oh, yeah. At the end of yeah. this motherfucker. Dude, no, seriously, the luau is the only song that is reminiscent of the Grease themes. Well, buzz yourself, because that's <laughs> fucking terrible. Oh. I fucking hated it. And then they, I see, I feel like they, and the, the luau was as bad as it got for me. I was like, this could not get any worse. And then he's standing on top of some like fucking tiki hut. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. In a, in a, it, the luau is worse than let's like... do it for our country. <laughs> that is fucked up. I mean, there was it's, so much fucked up. Like, there's a line in that, like, it's like we're doing it for Disneyland. Oh my so, god! What the fuck? <clears throat> okay, so let's let's tie it back. Since we talked about it in this episode, let's tie it back. Uh, Greece clearly, the original one, even Greece clearly has some questionable things and themes that they play with. That still to this day don't bother me quite as much because they had they had that satirical tongue in their cheek. They knew the absurdity of what they were doing. It, it was silly, and they were messing with that stuff through ridiculous, positive song and dance. And it never ultimately bothered me. 
those things did not land for me this time. So like our conversation with Paul Newman punching right. the shit yeah. out of Charlotte in the verdict, the right. shit in this movie made me squirm a lot more yeah. than than. I mean, how do you t- how do you top Frankie Avalon doing beauty school dropout? You can't do it. Mm-hmm. So you don't try, you know, that's why no, some movies shouldn't be. So some sorry, movies shouldn't of, have one sequels. Of these, the main song that the talent show, the girls were singing sounded a lot like Freddie, my love remixed. <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of songs in this that sounded like other popular songs from the, yeah. from Greece. Yeah. Yeah. But they were definitely not as good. Once again, that same, they did it and they bookended it. Uh, the opening, I was saying it pimped me into like, get on board. The ending, I felt like they were like, remember that great We Go Together song from Greece? Well, we're going to try to shove another one down your fucking throat, whether you want it or not. It's not going to be as good. And we're going to keep modulating and it wasn't even the key, a good song. And it's never going to end. Ugh. And we're going to have a 38-year-old guy be the nemesis of random people in this film. Why is he the, yeah, why, why is that guy in this movie, dude? Yeah. He, was, he was in the original. He he was back yeah, know, from the original, I although the original, I can't think like, of his name. And like, um, Dede Khan was back. Eve Arden and Sid Caesar. Sid so Caesar they was they back. got they got like the the supporting cast to make an appearance, but it they couldn't get. I don't know that they even tried to get the. Uh, well, sure they tried. Of course they, they tried, did. but no. So the rule of music theater for anyone who gives a fuck <laughs> is that. Sup- Apparently, whether it's with comedy and absurdly drawn out or sincerely done dramatically, when when characters can no longer <laughs> can no longer discuss a bad something, segment. don't even buzz yourself. Don't even buzz yourself. You, yeah. Don't, yeah, you don't deserve when it. they can no longer discuss something, they break into song. So I'm trying to think of my most quintessential moment where I was like, this is this is going against the rule and it's just bad filmmaking. The reproduction song. Oh. There is a scene in this movie where there is a teacher, a new teacher, who is trying to teach the facts of life to this group of fucking high school students that, first right. of all, should have known what fucking happens. Was that Connie Stevens? Was that, was that her? Yeah, I think that was Connie Stevens doing that. Yeah. They start singing about a song called Reproduction, you know, and it's very cliche about a pistol and flower and pollination. And it is just a perfect example of how, if I was in that cutting room, I'd be like, Cut. Like this, this does absolutely nothing to move our story forward. It progresses none of our characters. No, it falls it's not into even the, a good the screwballs song. reference I made before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just inherently, it's masturbatory music theater. Like it's just, we just want to have them singing on screen and thrusting their pelvises and making sexual innuendo. But it's not clever. It doesn't do anything for the story. You guys, I'm trying really hard to redeem this movie. I'm I, trying I to can't even buzz that. I like think you should think gush, put the gushing theme. He's gushing. <laughs> He's trying his best. He's to gushing. No, this save is the cool like it is. We need a cool like it is, Lam. <laughs> He's trying to save a bad that movie. Bothered me. Oh, What's I drank wrong so with much him? during the last week segment. Oh. What do you do? Were there any things that you guys like that? Was there anything that you were able to at least think to yourself? If they had changed this, it may could have worked. If they had done this differently, it maybe could have worked better. Was there anything in this movie that you felt like that, or was it just incessant? Wrong, wrong, There's wrong, no wrong, wrong. One thing, no. It, it was like from scene to scene, people's like character changed and people's performance changed. And the, like, there's no one thing that redeems any of this. 
I would have to disagree. I, I think if they had chosen a different bowling alley. <laughs> it's just, it, you know what? Yeah, the only fucking problem with this movie is the bowling alley. That's another number. Jack, I'm so glad you said that, dude. That number, what the fuck is that number doing oh, yeah. in this fucking We're movie, gonna dude? We're going to score so... tonight. Yeah, again, We're screwballs. <laughs> It's oh the screwball slash porkies God, thing dude. that happened in the I'm 80s. Hurting. It was just not endearing at all. There was <laughs> no. nothing about it. But the, you're right. The only problem with this movie is the bowling alley. That's what we, <laughs> Fix that we, and you'll fix the movie. <laughs> that, that scene bothered me a lot as well. That was my second example of what's wrong with this is that they didn't play by the rules. There was no reason for that number to be in this movie. I could even understand why there was the reason. <laughs> there was the reason for some That's of the I'm other leaving numbers. that in because, quite frankly, there's been a lot of buzzers. <laughs> there was a reason for some of the others to be in there. Even the one, the early number, back to school or whatever the fuck oh, it's called. I understand why the number was there. It just wasn't earned. It wasn't justified, but I understand story-wise why they wanted a song to have people go back to Greece, like back to the high school, back yeah. to this thing. It just wasn't executed well. But there were three or four musical numbers in this movie that literally did not progress the story or tell us anything about character on top of being just shitty songs. <laughs> so I just don't... I, there were just well, so many examples Well, they picked the wrong like title, that. first of I, all. It should have been Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Dave, tell me one redemption quality you could say about this movie. Give me something. Give me something that the, you enjoyed about it or that was okay or that you could have wanted to be better. Or... The actor who played Johnny. Yeah. Committed 100%. <laughs> it was Johnny. Like, as far as he was concerned... This was his fucking breakout. He was going for it. He was going to make it. Oh, that was Chris McDonald. That was Chris McDonald's character. And where did he end up? The guy who played... Wait, wait, wait. Johnny is Goose? Johnny. Hold on a second. Who is... Jo oh, wait. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, oh, my it's God. You don't remember the characters? You it's blocked Christopher, this out already? It's Christopher McDonald. Yeah, hold on a second. Which one it's is Johnny? Hit, it's Shooter McGavin. That's who he's talking about. It is Shooter, right? Yeah. yeah. He was really excited. Yeah, he was committed to the role. And uh, he took a risk. He did. And they failed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, they committed everything to this thing. He had all like the bass okay. lines, yeah. like the speaky reproduction. Like, the only redemption know, is like, looking at Michelle Pfeiffer for 90 minutes or less. That's the you know only that, redemption. I, was, I mean, let's be real. That is, yeah. that is just proof in the pudding that uh, everybody talks about those, the it factor the thing, whatever fucking weird vocabulary you want to use to say whenever you look at someone and just realize they've got a lot of talent and I don't mind anything they do. They could take a shit on stage and it's still interesting. Michelle Pfeiffer somehow does not ticket. bother me in this movie. Yeah. Like there's this, you know, she's, even though she's singing what's that? bad songs, cool, cool writer <laughs> and, and that, that ridiculous fucking when she thinks he's dead from the bike at the end. Yeah, I'm like they, they, they just they just technically killed a guy, and everyone's kind of forgiving about that. Let's go to a luau. Yeah, yeah. let's go to a. <laughs> All right, uh, we we we've, that, we've touched on this enough. I mean, I we so, yeah. yeah. Um, 
We tried to redeem I wanna this. Put the, uh, I uh, want to put the radiation hazardous waste warning <laughs> on the cover of this movie. Do not rewatch no. this movie. Do not watch this. I, I don't care, dude. Fuck it. Don't do it. Do y'all disagree? Are you gonna? No, it, are you it. gonna? No one is disagreeing with you. Like, yeah, yeah. No, we 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 failed at redeeming this. <laughs> we did fail at redeeming this. I'm really sorry. All right, so moving on. <laughs> moving on. That was uh, <laughs> Jack. I'm sorry. We we had you on for two great movies and one so really terrible movie one. that we could like have Jack a super enjoyed it. I did. I had a blast, guys. Oh, yeah, Thank fun. you so much for inviting me. Uh, and uh, Jeff, I to, wish uh, uh, I, I could be here uh, the next time, maybe, and and have all everybody present. That would be yeah, fun. that'd be well, great. We're definitely, we're we're definitely gonna have you back. Right. This is way too much fun, I, and I think Jeff would have way too much fun with you as well. I kind of want to hear you guys <laughs> just talk to each other and go back and forth. So we chose the year, or we didn't choose. We never choose. It's, it is a real random number generator. Yes, Dave. What year does it go back to? Because Everyone, in case you don't believe it actually goes back to the beginning of movies, what no, year I, is that number generated? I, I, started, I started 1970. We got to go back further. We got to go back further than 1970. Well, I started 1960, and then we got some weird shit. So, like... No, I'm going to argue for the 50s, but it doesn't fucking matter. Okay, next sure. Year, I'll, uh, next, next week, I'll, I'll go back to 50s. I'm excited. There's some good movies in the 40s and 50s. We chose... We were chosen by this his fucking computer... 2001 and i'm gonna be honest film fans i dare you to take a look and google movies of 2001 this is the first year that we have been disappointed by i'm not gonna lie there are not a there are usually at least 10 movies where we're like holy shit there are there are great this is a great movie year this was not one of those years um the big movies that year were a Beautiful Mind, Training Day, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, which we've covered. Uh, yeah, which and we've already talked about. Fuck. Uh, Mulholland Drive was a big one. Ridley Scott's Hannibal was fun. Donnie Darker, cult classic. But honestly, this was a weird year. There were not tons and tons of selections. So, yeah, so we went foreign <coughs> this year. We went foreign. Yeah. Dave, what are we going to be doing? We're going to go to Emily. Amelie by Jean Pierre Roulet. Really should have covered before now. Jean Pierre Genet. What a film. I'm so excited to rewatch it. Devil's Backbone. Guillermo del Toro's, I think it's his second feature, The Devil's Backbone, which I'm very excited to rewatch. And our third redemption movie, Vanilla Sky, (laughs) which was quite divisive. Um, We'll see what happens. Uh, Emily Crow taking a shot. You may know Cameron Crowe from uh, uh, Almost Famous and uh, what's the other Tom Cruise one oh, I don't about those? Know. Yeah, you do the sports agent, the sports agent that falls in love with uh, Jerry Maguire. Renee, Jerry Maguire. Renee's, Jerry Maguire. <laughs> this guy makes nostalgic movies and this is his stab at another one. Everybody Throw me out half a movie. plot, I can name the film. It's, it's like my gift. <laughs> So we're going to be talking about those three movies next week, and we're very excited. And we Jack may have, Daniel. Given that it's uh, 2001, we will have some hints of Crocodile Dundee in LA come through, I'm oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow that movie snuck through, and, and we didn't get to talk about it, but we're very excited to watch it. And I maybe, may make uh, some references. Any, well, any reference to Crocodile Dundee is always welcome. Ha <laughs> ha.
Can we all give it up for Jack Daniel, please? That was fucking awesome. Thank you. I had, you. A, I had a great time. Thanks for joining us, man. Fans of the Our podcast, first... and and anytime a fan gets to be a part of the thing, that's a big deal. <laughs> the thing. You see the how he worked the stuff. a title yeah. of one of the movies yeah. into yeah. the episode? This is a professional smooth. we're dealing with. <laughs> thank it's you so much for joining us. We're definitely we going to have you on uh, again. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Fuck yeah. Go watch your movies. We're excited. We're going to be back here next week. Jeff is going to rejoin us, and we are definitely going to have Jack Daniel on again. Thank you for tuning in.